What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Guest Friday on Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the program on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow our social pages on Facebook and Twitter slash X for the latest updates. Uh, great to be back with you folks. Uh, the final uh, episode of 2023, uh, doing a mailbag to close out uh, the year. So uh, really appreciative of, of all the questions I've gotten over the last couple of days. So i uh, got some questions, you know, ranging from uh, Celtics, Patriots, Bruins, Revolution, Red Sox, so questions on all the, uh, all the local teams, got some other non-Boston sports questions as well. So looking forward to answering those. So I uh, just want to say thanks to uh, all the listeners for making this year um, the special here that it's been, you know, I know that obviously with some teams, it's not always going to be great. It's not always going to be bright and sunshine, but you know, it's, it's sports, it's sports. I mean, that's why we all watch and why we're all fans, but, uh, just want to say thanks to everyone that listened, uh, this year. We hope to, you know, build even more of a, a listener base next year. Uh, as we try to maybe do some different things. But here we are, last guest Friday of the year, uh, last mailbag of the year. So we're going to gonna start right away. So I got a, uh, start with the Bruins, got a couple Bruins questions, actually. So first one uh, comes from a friend of the program, Alex Mabosley, who's been on a couple times. Um, so his question is, would you say the Bruins have a tendency to crumble when they aren't up by at least three goals. So, Alex, I appreciate the uh, the, the the bluntness of the question uh, because I think that you know I think to to get specific about the question, um, assuming that this means you know when they are not you know easily going to win the game and you know do they have a tendency to fall apart and you know unfortunately I think that we've seen that. Perhaps the answer is yes, recently. You know, the Bruins have uh, lost a bunch of third-period leads. You know, this is third third game, I think the last three games, uh, or the last three losses, I should say. The Bruins had a lead in the third period, lost it, um, and lost in overtime. And also have had some games earlier this season. You know, there was a game against Toronto a couple of weeks ago. Bruins were able to recover and win in overtime. Uh, there was a Tampa Bay game a couple weeks ago where they lost with a goal given up in the last minute. Um, but I think, you know, I think that the answer is yes, Alex, unfortunately. Uh, I'm not really sure why that is. You know, it seems like this has been an issue since that, you know, playoff series last year that the Bruins, you know, had a chance in Florida to, you know, finish that series in six games. They couldn't do it. They couldn't hold a lead in game seven and, you know, lose. And I think for some reason that's crept over to their play this year, especially recently, that, you know, holding one goal leads in the third period had been hard and the Bruins had been, you know, unable to close it out. And, you know, I'm not sure what that is. I don't know if that's, just the lack of focus or what it is, but, you know, it's something that can't continue. 
uh, if this team wants to be successful and wants to be, you know, a playoff hopeful. Um, you know, I think that in the playoffs specifically, you're going to be playing a lot of close one-goal games. And if you're unable to hold leads, you know, it's going to be difficult for you to win games. So, you know, I think as with anything, it's just, you know, go, continuing to go through those situations and trying to come out. I mean, unfortunately, I think this Bruins team may have to go through a lot of low-scoring you know, types of games where they're going to have to hold third-period leads. So I think that, you know, it's going to have to just get better. But it does seem like now, yes, it does seem like they're kind of have a penchant for blowing the uh, third-period leads recently. Um, so I have another Bruins question, uh, this time from my dad. Uh, he wants to know, with the Bruins having close to the same record as they had around this time last year, are the expectations for the rest of the season the same or different? Uh, so I think, you know, Bruins record this season, a little bit different than uh, last year's record through 30 games. Bruins, I think, last year were 24-4-2, so a little bit better than uh, the record this year of 19-5-6. But I think, you know, same kind of idea. I think with the record, um, you know, I think, so this is interesting for me because I thought at this point last year, the Bruins were off to like an unbelievably great start. And I think still at that point, I was expecting that, oh, okay, you know, they're going to come down at some point um, and, you know, that they were going to be okay. Maybe they'll still, you know, win the division, but maybe it's not going to be points record. You know, obviously they went and set the points record. And so the expectations changed, I think, at, at a point uh, during the season. But I think just based on looking at their record, I think the expectations have to be different uh, because I think very clearly this team is not nearly as talented scoring-wise as the team was last year. And so I think the expectations for, you know, getting to the Stanley Cup have to be different. This isn't to say that, oh, this team is incapable of going deep in the playoffs because anything can happen in the playoffs. Um, but I do think that the expectations for this year's group need to be different than last year's group because, like last year's group, the expectation was you're going to the Stanley Cup and you're probably, and you should win. This year, I think the expectation can't be that. You know, I think the expectation is reasonable to expect that they could, you know, win a playoff round. I think that that's what the expectation should be right now, looking at this team. But I think, you know, it is interesting how, like, last year, I still kind of was, the jury was still out, I thought, on the team's expectations at this point last year, but, you know, I do think that the expectations, um, you know, are different, should be different for this year's team, but that's not to say that, okay, that's like a limit on what they can do, um, that like, oh, okay, their ceiling is winning a playoff round. I don't think that that's their ceiling. I think the ceiling is so hard to predict 
with how weird the playoffs can be that, you know, any team going into it can do anything. You know, Florida can, you know, went on that run last year to the finals. You've seen plenty of other teams that, you know, limp into the playoffs and make it all the way to the Stanley Cup or even win. So, you know, I don't think that the expectations should be getting to the Stanley Cup for this year's team, but that's not to say that they couldn't do it. Um, so now I got a, so actually a number of Celtics questions this week. I got a question from my mom, so she wants to know, uh, which non-rotation Celtics player has the best chance to be a regular contributor the rest of the season? So I think this is a good question because I think um, this is, again, you know, a Celtics group that I think that the top six of the, you know, starting five and, and Horford coming off the bench, it's pretty, you know, set in stone that that's the rotation, you know, and then Hauser and Pritchard off the bench. I think are kind of the other two regular contributors. Um, you know, Cornette, I think when he's healthy, is also one of those guys. And so I think in terms of a non-rotation player, someone that maybe is toward the end of the bench, you know, I think there are two players in particular. Um, I think O'Shea Bursette, uh, with the way that he plays with his athleticism, his aggressiveness, I think is good to see in his you know, shooting that can be off and on at times, but I think that he could be a really valuable contributor for the team um, because he can play a bunch of different positions as that athleticism can attack, you know, closeouts can attack the basket. Um, and the Celtics, I think, being a team that can sometimes veer into the taking too many threes territory, he's someone that, you know, is not afraid to take it to the basket. Um, the other player that I think could be important is uh, Namias Keita. Really liked what he's brought recently with his energy off the bench, his ability to rebound, his ability to score in the interior. I think with the Celtics sometimes having issues rebounding, he's a guy that can come in and give you, you know, 10, 15 minutes of really, you know, really hard-nosed play that can get you know, big rebounds when you need it. So I think those two guys, I think, have the biggest chance. You know, Keita is a guy that's on a two-way, so he can only play a certain amount of games in Boston. So I think I'd say Bursette, just because he's got a better chance of, you know, being a help, being a help to the team in the playoffs. Um, because I think that, you know, those are going to be the most important games. And so... You know, Brissett's going to be someone that I think they're going to, you know, hopefully look to um, as we get further into the season. So got a uh, question here from um, Evan Greasing, friend of the, friend of the pod, uh, who's been on a couple of times. So uh, his question for me is, what is your projected Super Bowl matchup um, and who is a dark horse contender? So um, Evan, the first part of the question is, it's a, it's a difficult question. I think that it's a good question because I think at least for one conference, uh, it's kind of a toss-up, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think in the NFC, based on what I've seen for the majority of the season, 
I like the 49ers to get to the Super Bowl. Um, I just think that top to bottom, they have the best team in the NFC. Um, and I think are capable of winning in different types of situations. Um, I just think that, you know, they are probably the most well-rounded team in the NFL. So I like them out of the NFC as far as the AFC. That is less clear because I think while there are some good teams, I think there's some big flaws with each of the contenders. I think with Miami, they haven't beaten a team with a winning record all season. You know, the Chiefs have had their issues at wide receiver. You know, Jacksonville's had issues with consistency and some health recently. You know, Baltimore, I think the jury is still out on Lamar Jackson performing in the postseason. Um, I think that, you know, it might be Kansas City that I'm the most comfortable with. I'm not comfortable making that decision, though, because they've had so many issues at receiver. But if you have Mahomes and Kelsey in a playoff game, like, it's a pretty good, pretty tough duo to stop. So I think I think that they get out of the AFC. Uh, I think it's either going to be them or Baltimore. I'd pick Kansas City just because it's just more a more experienced team in the playoffs. That's a really good defensive team as well. Um, and so I think, you know, Mahomes-Kelsey, a good defense. Um, and I think, you know, obviously to this point in the season, the Chiefs maybe haven't been able to overcome the wide receiver issues, but I just think Mahomes in the playoffs, he's a more proven guy than Lamar Jackson. So I think I'd say Kansas City, San Francisco, you know, that's what I think, but I think that that's definitely not something that's like, this is what it definitely is going to look like. I think it really could look like anything, uh, but those would be my two teams. I think as far as dark horse contender, you know, there is, I do have a feeling that there might be an AFC team that makes like a sneaky deep run in the playoffs. You know, Cincinnati, despite losing Burrow, Jake Browning has played really good football. So I think that there may be an interesting team. Uh, Cleveland, I think as well with their defense, uh, you know, Joe Flacco, yes, is older, but does have experience, has won a Super Bowl. Um, I think in the NFC, Detroit is probably kind of the sexy pick. I think just because of how good their offense has been, but defensively, I kind of have some concerns. Um, you know, I don't think it would be right to say the Eagles are a dark horse contender because I think I consider them one of the top contenders in the NFC. But I think if there's a team that people maybe have forgotten about, don't really think they could do much, it's the Rams. I think if the Rams get into a, a good matchup, like get a matchup against like Detroit, I could see them beating Detroit. You know, I think just the way with Stafford and Cup and Puka Nakua and Kyron Williams, like I think they have a good group of offensive players. And they're not a bad defense either. I know the Rams are a much better team at home than they are on the road, but I just think that them, they could take advantage of an inexperienced Lions team. Um, and I think they're even a team that could 
make it interesting for the Cowboys. Um, so I think those are just a couple teams that I think you could consider Dark Horse. You know, I could hear the argument for Detroit. Um, you know, I don't know if you'd call them a Dark Horse because they're one of five teams, one of six teams in the NFL with double-digit wins, but, you know, they may not be a team that you expect that, you know, goes deep and maybe even goes to the Super Bowl. Uh, because I think Super Bowl teams, people are going to expect, you know, expect it to be the Eagles, the 49ers, the Rams, or uh, excuse me, the Eagles, the 49ers, Cowboys, Ravens, Dolphins. I expect that people think that those teams, you know, get to the Super Bowl. So it will be interesting to see, but I think those are just some couple like dark horse teams. Um, so... We'll move on to some more questions. Uh, Derek Welch, also a friend of the program, sent in a couple of questions. Um, and so his has a Celtics question. So he uh, says, seems like the team is clicking pretty well. What do you think the challenges will be as this season goes on? Uh, so uh, Derek, I think it's a good question. I think it's a good observation. Um, that I think the team is clicking very well, and I think that they enjoy playing with each other. I think, you know, challenges for this team are, you know, maintaining the focus on a nightly basis, because I just, I think you think about this team's aspirations to, you know, win a championship, and I think that there could be some games that it's hard for them to kind of maintain the focus, um, you know, I think the biggest thing for them is, I think, improving their performance during those kind of, you know, very intense, close games. You know, how do they finish? Can they hit some winning shots? Can they, you know, not have a tendency to fall apart, maybe like they did last year? I think that they've had some games this year where they've kept it together and performed really, really well. But I think you know, not that it's a challenge, but I think it's something that they're going to have to be working on and making sure that they're at their best. Um, you know, injuries could be a challenge, but I think to this point, the Celtics have been pretty healthy. Knock on wood, you know, I think that they're doing a good job with, you know, managing Porzingis and not having him play too much recently. I think trying to make sure that his calf is good. Um, you know, I think the, the depth on the bench is interesting. I think that the rotations off the bench, Joe's been getting in some more of the end of the bench guys, which I think is important. But I think I think the biggest thing for this team is staying healthy. I really think that that's what it is. And if they can stay healthy, keep the focus, keep the intensity, most nights, you know, get a high seed, get the home court, you know, and then just be playing their best when the playoffs come around. You know, I don't think that they're major challenges for this team, but I think it's just kind of, you know, getting better around the margins, getting better around the edges uh, towards the, the end of the season and into the playoffs. So Derek has a Patriots question, uh, kind of a two-part question here. Uh, do you have a preference on the potential top three draft pick do you think if Bill sticks around, he'll trade out of it? So, 
uh, to answer the second question first, um, I don't believe that Bill Belichick will trade out of a top three pick. I just, I can't see that happening. Um, I think that there's, I think, too much talent in that area for Bill to just kind of trade out of it. Um, I would think that if the Patriots, you know, and this may have maybe kind of an earlier in the season take, that if the Patriots had won more games and had ended up with, you know, fifth pick, sixth pick, seventh pick, then I think Bill might have more of a tendency to trade out of that. But I think if it's going to be top three, top two, or, you know, even the number one pick, I can't see him trading out of that. That's just as not something that I think would happen. Um, as far as my preference, you know, it's it's difficult because I think there could be an argument to be made for uh, Marvin Harrison, uh, the wide receiver from Ohio State. Um, I understand that, yes, you know, quarterback is definitely a need, but I also think, you know, when you think about some of the best quarterbacks in the league, they all have a really good kind of game-breaking receiver. You know, could the Patriots knock that knock that out in a top three pick? You know, it might be worth considering. You know, but then the thing is, okay, who do you think about for quarterback? Do you think about trading back into the first round um, in that scenario? You know, I think there's an argument to be made for Harrison, although I kind of tend to think that it should be a quarterback. Um, you know, I think I think I have my own personal feelings about each of the quarterbacks that could, you know, go in the top three. You know, I tend to think that Drake May and Caleb Williams might be the better better quarterbacks than, you know, Bo Nix and Michael Penix. But, you know, I don't really know. You know, that's kind of the the thing with the draft is, you kind of don't know who's going to be good and who's not going to be. You know, I think it's kind of hard, hard to know. You know, I think Drake May probably would be the guy that I have a, a preference with. You know, it seems like he's a guy that can make the throws, can stay in the pocket, uh, but can also, you know, do enough to improvise. And if the pocket breaks down, he can make a play. So, you know, it probably would be Drake May would be my preference. Wouldn't be surprised if they tried to go with Marvin Harrison. I wouldn't be upset with that either. Um, Caleb Williams, I think I'd be fine with too. You know, as a guy with a lot of talent. So, you know, I think it's really not a huge preference, but I think you got to be thinking quarterback or wide receiver uh, if, if it ends up being a top three pick. Um, so Derek has a couple of, well, one Red Sox question that I will answer very quickly. Uh, what percent chance do you give the Red Sox to sign Yamamoto? Well, I'll say 0% as of this morning, um, as he'd overnight signed with the Dodgers. So unfortunately that's a zero, but, uh, Derek wants to know what other areas would you like to see the Sox go after for next season? So you know, starting pitching, I think putting that aside, I think I kind of would like to see them look at another potential outfielder. 
maybe someone at second base. You know, I think that, you know, I like the addition of Tyler O'Neill, obviously, but I do wonder if they could make another move in the outfield. You know, what do they think about Duran? I'd like him to stay around, but, you know, I think I'd be curious to look at second base, but I'm also curious about if that second base plan involves Trevor Story that once, you know, Marcelo Mayer is available, does he play shortstop? Or, or once he's able to play in the majors, does he play shortstop? Do they move Story back to second base? Um, but I think for the time being, I'd be curious if they brought in someone at second base. You know, Christian Arroyo is kind of is what he is at this point. Kind of feel like I'd like to try something different. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see if the Red Sox think what they think about Yoshida. Do they want him DHing full time? I kind of would prefer that. He's not as good in the outfield. So that's what kind of makes me think, okay, maybe they can go and get another outfielder. Um, but I think it's got to be starting pitching. I mean, that's what it needs to be. And it's kind of, you know, irritating that it doesn't, there doesn't seem to be as much urgency as there should be. Um, so, you know, I think with Yamamoto signed, it's kind of like, okay, hopefully the floodgates have, have opened and the Red Sox can go look at a, a Blake Snell or a Marcus Stroman or a Jordan Montgomery or someone like that. Um, so, yeah, I think those are just some other areas. A couple of questions from uh, Tyler Hayden. My older brother has been on the program before, so uh, his, he has two questions. What position the Celtics should look to add ahead of the trade deadline? So I think as good as Keita has been in the minutes that he's played, I'd like for them to look at another big, you know, if it's someone like Isaiah Stewart, someone like uh, Kelly Olynyk might make sense. You know, I just think that I also like how well Cornette's played this year, but I think they might just need one more person, you know, if it's someone that's a good rebounder um, or if it's someone that's simply just, you know, a vet presence that plays maybe a couple minutes a night, uh, you know, similar to like a Blake Griffin that they had last year. Uh, Tyler's other question, what are the Revolution's off-season plans? So... I think that they've um, addressed a couple of those, you know, hired a new sporting director, Kurt Anolfo. He's obviously been in the organization. So that was kind of a, I think, easy move. But then bringing in Caleb Porter to be the new head coach, I think those were kind of the two big things that they did. But I think the rest of the offseason, I think to me, it's like figuring out how best they can reintegrate Dylan Barrero into the team. Um, you know, suffered an ACL tear at the beginning of last season. You know, he's a very exciting offensive player. Where does he fit in? Uh, where does Nick Lima fit in, the new uh, defender that the Revs traded for? Um, you know, I think it's mostly, you know, kind of tactics-based based in terms of what their plans are for next season. You know, Bruce Arena, I think, was kind of of the aggressive mindset. Does Caleb Porter keep that? Does he change it a little bit? Do the Revs play a little bit more conservatively? You know, I think it's, you know, tactic stuff or it's, or tactic stuff and 
trying to integrate guys into the team um, ahead of the new season. So I think the Revs kind of have done the hard stuff, and now it's kind of just the figuring out how best, figuring out how to get the best out of the team. Um, so we have a couple more questions. Uh, one from my um, good friend Jack Drew. So he has kind of a two-part question about Jake DeBrusque. Um, and so his question is, what do you think of Jake DeBrusque's play this year? Do you think the Bruins should give him time to get out of his slump, given how good he looked last year? Um, so, you know, Jack, it's interesting. I spent quite a while on this uh, earlier in the week. Um, I'm not exactly pleased with his play this year. You know, I think there's something to be said for some of the things, the little things that he's doing. And I think that that's always good to kind of have the good habits and be able to notice when he's playing well. But it just, the production for me this year is way too inconsistent. And it's, to me, it's not really good enough to like say that you're doing or to like to see that you're doing the little things well, that's fine. But it's like the Bruins are expecting him to be a 20 to 25 goal scorer. He has four goals right now. And it's just like, you know, it's not a good sign when, you know, Danton Heinen is like seemingly outplaying him most nights. And it's just like there, there needs to be more production from him. Um, you know, I think the second part of the question, you know, should the Bruins give him time? Well, respectfully, he's, you know, 27 years old. He's not a young player anymore. You know, I just think that, you know, he kind of has to get himself out of whatever this slump is. You know, the Bruins can, can only do so much. I think part of the reason he looked good last year was playing with Marchand and Bergeron, you know, and I think any player would do really well playing with the two of them, you know, and I think that's part of the reason why he had, you know, such a career year last year. Um, and I just think that it's been a much different team. You know, I think that maybe Jake has bounced around too much in the lineup, you know, but I think that this is a different team this year. It's scoring is a little bit more of a struggle. And so, the high danger chances aren't as a plenty as they were last year, and so I think you kind of have to make do with what you what you have. And I think you know Pasternak is so talented that he can get these chances, but it's like they need other guys to be able to generate them and to be able to capitalize. And Jake's not generating enough, and obviously he's not capitalizing enough, and. So, you know, obviously that needs to change, but I think, in my opinion, it needs to change quickly or else I don't think he's going to last the season um, in Boston. And I do think that there's a good chance that he could get traded because he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. And I'll just be honest, it doesn't really look good for him signing a long-term deal here, but that's just my opinion. Um, so have a couple of questions, uh, two from uh, Chris Burns, who's a recent uh, guest on the program. And so he's got a couple of non-Boston sports questions. Uh, his first one, which current player has the best chance of reaching or passing 
LeBron's accolades? So Chris, this is a good question because I think that there are a couple of guys, you know, I think I, I took this question as thinking about younger guys and thinking about like the Tatums and the Lucas and guys like that, that are kind of at the beginning of their career still. You know, I think that Luca is a guy that probably has the best chance, but the thing with LeBron is just, I think it's the the level of consistency, the 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 championships, the MVPs. You know, Luca, I think, will win a couple of MVPs. You know, it's the kind of the titles that are hard to hard to kind of figure out because it does seem like the league's parity is kind of different than what it used to be when, you know, LeBron was kind of winning those titles where it kind of seemed to be the same teams every year. Kind of seems like it's a little bit different um, at this point, but, you know, Luka probably has a good chance. Jason Tatum probably has a good chance, you know, with all NBA and, you know, hopefully winning some MVPs. You know, I think currently, you know, maybe Jokic has the best chance because, I think he's a guy that has a chance to win, you know, multiple championships. He already has multiple MVPs, multiple All-Stars, multiple All-NBAs. You know, I think it's just, I think it's the titles. That's really kind of, LeBron's got four. You know, I don't know about, could any other player get that many? You know, I think Durant, maybe you you could look at that and look at kind of a comparable, but I don't think there's anyone really right now that I would say like, oh, they have a chance. But I think, you know, Luca probably would be the best guy, Jason Tatum. I think I could see that. Um, you know, I might be a little bit biased there, but I think looking at Tatum, looking at Luca, they're young enough that I think they will probably continue to get better and continue to, you know, pile up the accolades. So I would say probably either one of them. Uh, Chris's other question and this is kind of a, or this, this is a, a would you rather question. Uh, so his question is, would you re- would, which fan would you rather be a fan of? Which team would you rather be a fan of? Uh, the Carolina Panthers, the Arizona Cardinals, the Detroit Pistons, or the Washington Wizards? So this is a good question. Uh, you know, all obviously all four of these teams are are not very good, don't really seem like they have much of a, a, a future. Um, you know, I think I might go out of the box here. And I might say the Cardinals, uh, just because they have a quarterback that's very, very good. And I think it's proven in the NFL. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, surrounding him with the right talent. And I think they maybe have the best chance. Um, you know, I think they'll get another high pick this year. Uh, but I think they're a team that, like, if you have a good quarterback and you have a proven quarterback and he's healthy and you have somewhat of a decent offensive line, you can generally be pretty good. And I think, you know, that's also a media market where, you know, that team is not uh, as heavily scrutinized as maybe some other teams would be. I just... I look at the Pistons and, you know, obviously losing the, what, 25 straight games, it just doesn't seem like there's any hope with that team. You know, and the Wizards, 
not really much has happened with them. You know, they're kind of just a in the middle kind of blah team. You know, Carolina, I think the Panthers just with Bryce Young and how much he struggled. You know, I just don't know what their thought process is going forward. So I think I'd say Arizona just because they have the most kind of proven talent in terms of the guys that they have on that team. And so I think I think I would say Arizona uh, for that. So uh, we got two more Celtics questions uh, from Connor Reardon, and then we're done. Uh, so his question, for his first question, what is your general opinion of Joe Missoula? So uh, Connor, this is a pretty, uh, pretty loaded question here, but uh, I think I like Joe. I wouldn't say that I would say that I you know, love him, that he's absolutely the perfect coach. Um, you know, I think becoming a coach in the absolute kind of, I don't want to say worst position possible, but I think becoming a head coach like he did last year with really no expectation that he would be the head coach, you know, I think it's hard for me to have a harsh opinion of him when this is his second year doing this. Um, and I think there were a lot of things that he had to learn on the fly last year. It wasn't exactly fair that he had to learn all those things on the fly, but I think he did a pretty good job. You know, sure, you can have issues with the postseason performance, but to be perfectly honest, I kind of put more of that in the players. You know, he's a coach that did rally a team back from 3-0 down. You know, it's not like the Celtics laid down and, let the Heat sweep them in that conference finals. You know, he kind of deserves some credit for that. Um, so I think I like him fine. You know, I think that there are some people that are a little bit over dramatic with how much they don't think he's a good coach or whatever. But, you know, I think that, you know, he's a fine coach. Is he the absolute best coach for this team? You know, probably not. You know, there probably could be a couple of other coaches out there that maybe could be a better coach, but it's like I just, I don't really know how you exactly find out about that. So, you know, I think he's fine. I don't think he's as bad as people say he is. Um, but I think, you know, certainly there are things that he can work on. I think he's worked on some things and become a better coach this year. You know, I think, again, the... The thoughts on him last year, I don't think that it was necessarily fair for a guy that, you know, started coaching a team two days before the season started. Not really fair for a guy that, you know, lost most of his coaching staff throughout the season. You know, it's kind of hard to say that, or I don't know, it's hard, hard to be critical of someone that's put in that situation. So uh, Connor's other question what or who are your top three Celtics trade candidates? Uh, so it's funny. I was talking with Connor yesterday. And he actually, or I thought he meant, I thought he meant this question in a different way. I thought that he meant uh, the top three Celtics players to get traded. But no, he was asking about top three guys that the Celtics could trade for. So I think number one, Isaiah Stewart, probably from the Pistons. He's a guy that plays with an edge, plays with some grit, 
is a really good rebounder and I think really would fit the Celtics well. Um, the Celtics at the moment, you know, really just have a trade exception and some draft picks to trade. So I don't know how the money would work out, but I think he's someone that the Celtics could look at. Um, Kelly Olynyk is a name that I mentioned. You know, I think he would fit in terms of versatility and shooting. You know, kind of less of a rebounder, but I think would be someone that could be a help to this team. Uh, Sadiq Bey would be the other guy. Um, you know, good shooter from Atlanta, obviously. A guy that can fill the basket, less of a defender. But I think if the Celtics want to find someone off the bench who can just score the basketball, I think that he's a pretty good fit. So I think those are three names to think about. Obviously, it could change. Um, between now and the trade deadline, which is in a couple months. So I think that that's it. Again, thanks to everyone that submitted the questions uh, for our final uh, mailbag and final guest Friday of 2023. Also, our final episode of 2023. I'll be on uh, kind of a, a vacation, if you call it, next week. But we'll be back the week of January 1st. Probably we'll be back with you folks on uh, January 2nd, most likely. Uh, but again, want to say thanks to all the listeners, all the people that made the uh, mailbags possible with all your questions uh, throughout the year. So uh, have everyone have a great uh, holiday season. Happy New Year, and we will see you all in 2024.